0: So we're going to go through Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1. Let me um, start first by um, giving you a little bit of an introduction, and then we're going to analyze uh, the text of Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. We're going to stay there today. The book of Hebrews, if, if you understand and know the book of Hebrews and know the information that is presented in the book of Hebrews, I, I promise you that you'll know the whole Bible. The Old and the New Testament, at least the main points of the Bible. Amen? Why is that? Because the author of Hebrews really is comparing the whole book. He's comparing the Old Testament with the New Testament. And he's trying to prove to the readers that the New Testament is a continuation of the Old Testament, but is also superior of the Old Testament. And it is a fulfillment of the Old Testament. So you really cannot understand what he's talking about if you don't know the Old Testament. And that's why he quotes the Old Testament a lot, and we're going to go through that. And you'll learn a lot. You'll learn about the Old Testament, how people approach God in the Old Testament, how people uh, were, you know, getting saved in the Old Testament versus the New Testament. You'll find it's the same thing. And how the New Testament is really superior, far superior, uh, than the Old Testament. It's kind of in a way the Old Testament is a promise and the New Testament is the fulfillment, the completion of everything that God wanted to tell us throughout the book. So if you know Hebrews, you'll see the absolute amazing continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament, but your eyes will also be open to be to see the superiority and the magnificence of Christ our Lord. Amen? Um, I want to highlight a couple of things and then we start right away reading the text. Uh, Who is the author of the book of Hebrews, uh, the human author of the book of Hebrews? Uh, This is a subject of a lot of debate. A lot of Christian commentators and theologians argue who wrote it, mainly if it's Paul or if it's not Paul. Paul wrote 13 books in the New Testament, 14 if you count Hebrews. I personally don't think Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Um, There's just so much against that, more than uh, what is for it. The main reason for me personally that I don't think Paul wrote Hebrews is the style. And if you read, for example, any of Paul's writings, like Galatians or Colossians or anything of his writings, and you read it multiple times and you get an idea, a feeling of his style, and then you switch to the book of Hebrews and start reading, you'll find that Hebrews is totally different. Everything in the style, the way he even presents and understands the Old Testament scripture, is just totally different. I'm not saying it's worse or better, it's just totally different. I'll give you one small example. Every single letter Paul wrote in the New Testament that we know he wrote it, always start with that phrase, Paul, a servant of God, or Paul, a slave of bond servant of Jesus Christ. This is pretty much his standard introduction. No exceptions whatsoever, except in the book of Hebrews. It doesn't start with anything like that. It starts by saying, God, who's in times past, spoke to our forefathers. So the author of Hebrews gets right away into the subject of the matter, no introduction. That's just one tiny example. The, I, the, the examples are too many to count, but... There is, for me, I'll be absolutely shocked if at the end of the day when we go to heaven we'll find out that Paul wrote it. I don't think he did. Anyways, personally, I don't think the uh, the human author of the book of Hebrews is Paul. Just want to touch base on that before we move on. Now, who is the book of Hebrews is written to? Let me give you a, a hint. It's in the title of the book. So what do you think, who do you think the book of Hebrews is written to? Can anybody help me here? Hebrews. Thank you. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So the book of Hebrews, surprise, surprise, is written to who? Hebrews. Who's the Hebrews? These are the the people of Israel, the nation of Israel that God has called under Abraham in the Old Testament that then sent Moses and all the prophets in the Old Testament. These are the Israelites, the Hebrews of the Old Testament. So that book is written to the Hebrews. So these are Jewish people who believed in Jesus. And they believed that Jesus is the Messiah that the Old Testament has been talking about. And they all became Christian. And after they became Christian, after they became Christian, they start having second thoughts about what it means to be a Christian. And they wanted to go back to be Jewish people again, to go back to Judaism. I think when we read through the book, we'll see that they faced a lot of persecution, and maybe that persecution contributed to their, um, you know, idea or thinking about, maybe we need to go back to avoid all this trouble. So the author of Hebrews wrote them this book to tell them, don't do it, right? The first, almost the first thin chapter, he's arguing how That Christian theology and Christ is far more superior than the Old Testament and the way of approaching God in the Old Testament. It's not saying that the Old Testament is wrong. It's just saying that the New Testament is superior. You guys follow me? And then from chapter 10 verse 19 almost to the end of the book, he's giving them some practical tips On how they can live their life as Christians in this world. Based on the idea that Christ is superior, here is how you need to live. That's pretty much the two major themes throughout the book of Hebrews. Amen? Amen. Remember he wrote that book the author of Hebrews wrote that book to Hebrews Jewish people so We should not be surprised to see that the author of Hebrews has heavily relied on the Old Testament. And he used so many scriptures from the Old Testament. Again, he's trying to prove his point that the New Testament is continuation of the Old Testament, but also superior to the Old Testament. Amen? A couple of quick highlights here. Uh, Number one, the author of Hebrews almost exclusively used the Septuagint translation. I hope you guys know what the the Septuagint is by now. Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament before Christ. Amen? So the Hebrew Bible is called Masoretic Text, but the LXX is an abbreviation for the Greek translation of the Old Testament before Jesus. Again, what happened is, (coughs) 70 Jewish scholars got together in Alexandria, Egypt before Jesus came into this world and they translated the Hebrew Bible into their Greek common language of that time. The amazing thing about this translation is it gives us an idea of how the Jewish people, the scholarly Jewish people, understood the text of the Old Testament even before Christ showed up. So it really, really gives us a good insight into, um, into the Jewish mindset before Jesus and how they understood the prophecies of the Old Testament. Not to mention that By the time Jesus came, that Septuagint was really the Bible that everybody was using. So Jesus used the Septuagint, all the apostles used the Septuagint for the most part. That was the Bible that Jesus would read in a way, or that was the Bible that would be common. Most of the quotes in the New Testament is directly from the Septuagint. The author of Hebrews is no different. He almost exclusively relied on the Septuagint rather than the actual Hebrew text of the Old Testament. But number two, let's just look at some stats how he used the Old Testament. He In the the Pentateuch, he has 12 quotes and 39 allusions. The historical books, he has one quote and zero allusions. The prophets, he has four quotes, 11 allusions. Psalms, 11 quotes and two allusions. Proverbs, one quote, one allusion. And the Apocrypha of the Old Testament, he has zero quotes, but he has one possible allusion in 1135, chapter 11, verse 35. Do you guys see? This is only thirteen chapter book, Right? And see how many times he's either quoted the Old Testament or alluded to the Old Testament. You guys going to, again, that goes back to what I was telling you. When you know Hebrews, you know Old and New Testament because it's just so intertwined together. Number three, the author of Hebrews almost never mentioned who is the human author when he quotes the Old Testament. Like Paul, for example, whenever he writes in Romans, we see he says a couple of times, as Isaiah said in the Old Testament, and then he quotes Isaiah. Uh, Matthew did the same thing, say, as Jeremiah said, as Zechariah said. A lot of the New Testament authors, they quote the actual human author of the Old Testament, but we don't see the author of Hebrews really doing that. Two exceptions, he quoted the human author twice. But other than that, he just usually says, God says. Two times, he also quoted the Old Testament, but he applied that to Christ and said, Christ said it in the Old Testament. And two times, he quoted the Old Testament and he uh, uh, attributed that to the Holy Spirit. And he said, as the Holy Spirit said in the Old Testament. But almost all the time, with two exceptions, he really doesn't use uh, doesn't mention the human author of the Old Testament. Amen. Again, this is just some unique features about how uh, the author of Hebrews looked into the Old Testament and how he used it. Now, let's just go over quick outlines here. Again, we say there's two major points in that book. The first part is theological. It's trying to present to them why Jesus is superior, why Christian faith is superior, and number the second part is practical. You know, how do you live your life now that you know that you're better off being a Christian? So in the beginning, the first 10 chapters, he talked about how Christ is superior than the prophets. And that's chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. Then in in chapter 1, verse 5, almost the whole chapter 2, he talks about how Christ is superior than the angels. Then chapter 3, most of chapter 4, Christ is superior than Moses. Uh, Some of chapter 4 till almost the end of chapter 7, Christ is superior than Aaron. Now, this is important. Aaron is Moses' brother, right? You guys remember that? And he was the high priest in the Old Testament. This is the guy who brings people to God, right? That's that's what he does in the Old Testament. So the author of Hebrews tells us how Jesus, as our high priest, is superior than Aaron. And then after that, he, he started talking about how the ministry of Christ is superior than the ministry of the Old Testament. He talked about superior covenant in chapter 8, starting in verse 7, superior sanctuary, that's in chapter 9, superior sacrifice, that's portion of chapter 9, and big portion of chapter 10. That is his theological foundation. And then he went into five different exhortations to, remember, Jewish background believers who are now facing persecution and thinking about going back. So he's exhorting them and he's saying, now that you know that Jesus is superior, now let's get into that new sanctuary. Let's come into the presence of God and pray and seek his face. And then he exhort them, encouraged them to endure persecution and in order to support that, he went back to the Old Testament and used a lot of examples of faith, how the people of God trusted God when it didn't make any sense. And he had the whole chapter about the uh, cloud of witnesses. And then in chapter 12, he exhorted them to endure chastising by God. He's saying, you know, sometimes God disciplines you as his child when you sin, so you need to endure that. And then uh, finally, he in- exhorted them, in- them, in- encouraged them to live the Christian living. And then finally, at the very end, he has some concluding notes. Throughout that book, we see five different warnings, five different passages where the author of Hebrews stop what he's saying and give a flat-out warning to the people who's reading and say, don't do it, it's huge danger, if you ever go back to Judaism and abandon Christ five different warnings throughout that book. that's pretty much an introduction to help you understand where we're gonna go with this in the background of that book. So now we're gonna start with the very first part. if you go back actually with me let's actually read these four verses together Hebrews one one to four. I'm gonna let's read it together. can we read it out loud? I want you to focus with me. Let's read it together. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by one who is his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he has made the world's who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. So awesome how he described Jesus. When he had by himself purged our sin, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, and then verse 4, having become much better, much greater than the angels, now, he's launching into the second thought, okay? How Jesus is superior than the angels. Having become much better than the angels, as he has, by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they are. Amen? So, let's go back to the outlines. I just want to um, highlight a couple of small things here, how we're gonna, uh, what we're going to do today and the next couple of weeks. Go back with me to page number one. Verses 1 to 4 that we just read talks about Christ being superior than the prophets. Amen? And there's two sub-points under that. The first part, which is verse 1 and a little bit of portion of verse 2, the author of Hebrews is telling us that the message of Christ is superior than the message of the prophets. Okay? Right? And then point number two, the rest of verse two, verse three, and verse four, he's telling us that the messenger that is Christ is superior than the messengers of the Old Testament. Amen? So in order for the author of Hebrews to tell us how Jesus is superior than the prophets of the Old Testament, he told that the message is superior and the messenger is superior. You guys follow me? We are in the point number one now, how the message is, is superior. I think we're going to be in that for at least two or three weeks. And then after that, we're going to go into the messenger being superior. So today we're going to stop here at verse one and just a portion of verse two. Let's read together that part. So I'm just zooming you in on what we're going to be talking about. All right. Hebrews 1.1, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in the past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoke to us in the one who is his son. That's point number one. The message that Jesus has brought was superior than the message that all the prophets has brought in the Old Testament. Amen. We're going to stay here today and probably one or more or two more weeks talking about how the message is superior. Okay, so in Hebrew, in, in Greek, actually, these four verses that we just read together, they're all one, one sentence in Greek. So that's one thought. All that we've just been reading these four verses is just one thought in, in Greek. That's one long sentence. A lot of English grammar people will not like that, right? <laughs> but that's just one sentence in Greek because it's one idea, one thought. Now, we're talking how the message is greater. And in verse 1, the author of Hebrews is telling us this. God, in times past, in various times, spoke to our forefathers by the prophet. Now, in these last days, God has spoken to us in his son. Question. How many phases is the author of Hebrews here is talking about? He's talking about two phases, right? The old phase and the? New phase, right? The old phase in which God spoke to the fathers, to the old fathers, that the nation of Israel, through the prophets in various times and in various ways. And now the new phase is God speaking to us in his son, right? Yeah. These two phases, kind of like this. It's a promise, that's phase number one, God speaking through the prophets, and then the fulfillment of that promise that we see in Jesus. Amen. Alright, so it's kind of like the the author of Hebrews is telling us that the the phase two is completion of phase one. That's what seals it. That's everything in phase one is pointing to is phase two how God spoke to us by His Son. We see that also in other examples like in Hebrews 11 39 40 after the author of Hebrews talked about the Patriots of the Old Testament, the cloud of witnesses, he said all and all these all these Old Testament people who had faith in God have having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us that we should not be made perfect apart, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So the same idea here, the author of Hebrews is resonating almost at the very end of his message, his letter, that the phase one was just promises and phase two is the fulfillment of these promises. Amen? Now let's, let's think about it together. I want you to help me highlight three differences. Don't look into the notes. Let's brainstorm together first. Highlight with me three differences between how God spoke in phase one and how God spoke in phase two. Can we think about that together? Let's read it and then I'll take some suggestions. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by one who is his son. Can you point out some differences, differences between these two ways of God speaking? Yeah, many and one. As, absolutely. In the Old Testament, we see God used many prophets. That's right. But in the New Testament, God didn't use many sons. He had only one son and he spoke through that son, right? So many prophets versus that son. Amen. What else is different? Absolutely. But let's look into that verse. Break it down to me. Tell me what that verse points out. Jimmy, what do you have? Um, I would say the relationship between the messenger and God. Correct. Absolutely. Prophets, many versus one. Prophets versus son. That's absolutely true. And we're going to talk about all of that. You see that when, when the author of Hebrews spoke about the old way, he said that was time past, right? In times past, God spoke this way. But when he spoke about Jesus, he said, in these last days, he spoke this way. You guys follow me? Number two, we see that the author of Hebrews say that God, who in various ways spoke to our forefathers. So God has many ways of speaking in the Old Testament. But how many ways he has in the New Testament? Son, one way, right? Implied, not explicit, but implied. And number three, God had many prophets. That's what Wayne and uh, and uh, Jimmy were saying as well. God had many prophets in the Old Testament, but he has the Son in the New Testament in which God spoke to us. You guys follow me? So that is the three differences between how God spoke in the past versus how God's speaking now or spoke in this last day through Jesus. Let's talk about it. Number one, past times versus the last days. Now, In times past, how the author of Hebrews is using that is like this. He's talking about uh, uh, the way God used to do things, but he's not doing that anymore. That's pretty much the idea of the Greek here. God, in the past, used to speak to us this way through the prophets. But guess what? This is done. He doesn't do that anymore. Amen? And then, and then he said that Jesus, our in the last days, now God speaks to us through Jesus. Now, that phrase, in these last days, is extremely a particular when it comes to the Septuagint and how they use that phrase. When you read the Old Testament, the phrase in these last days is always a reference to all the blessings that God has in the future for his people. Amen? Amen. Almost exclusive, that phrase, in these last days, or the last days, almost exclusive to the blessings of the Messiah and what the Messiah is going to bring at the end of age, right? I'll show you one example, Joel 2. God says, in these last days, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, right? God is saying, in the future, when the Messiah comes and fulfill all the blessings, in these last days, I will bless everybody and my Holy Spirit will be poured out on everybody, So that the author of Hebrews here is not trying to tell us that Jesus was just simply the last chronological messenger that God has sent to us, amen? He's trying to tell us that Jesus was the fulfillment of every prophecy and every messenger that God has sent to us in the past, amen? I'm just going to read this so verbatim because it's just so good. The idea here is that Jesus is more than simply the last of a long line of prophets. He is the inauguration of a new age altogether. Amen. Jesus isn't just the end of God's revelations. Jesus is the climax of God's revelations. Amen? Jesus isn't just the final revelation. Rather, he is the purpose and the goal of every revelation God has ever given to man. Amen? That is the difference when we say in times past versus in these last days. Amen? He's saying that Jesus is far more superior because when God spoke to him, he fulfilled every goal and every purpose and every prophecy God has ever uttered throughout the Old Testament. Amen? But number two, God spoke in various ways in the Old Testament, and he didn't need to do that in the New Testament. He only has one way to speak to us, and that was Jesus. Amen? Look at this. Um, In the Old Testament, God spoke in various ways. He spoke to Moses, just to name a couple. He spoke to Moses in the burning bush. To Elijah in a small still voice. To Isaiah in a vision in the temple. To Hosea the prophet through his family circumstances and situation. To Amos, he spoke to him in a basket of summer fields. And then in the Old Testament we see God speak in or through visions, dreams, angels, Urim and Thummim. Does anybody know what is Urim and Thummim? Brownie points. It's very, very good. That's true. It's two stones that the high priest will wear on his um, on his uh, outfit that God has made to him. And it's kind of like similar to this. One side is green and one side is red, roughly, or something to that effect. And then when they're not sure how to hear from God, they, they take these two stones and throw it. If it's two greens, that means God is saying yes. If it's two reds, that means God is saying no. If it's one green and one red, that means God is silent so far. He's not saying anything. So, just the way God spoke to the children of Israel in the past. God spoke through natural events. Pillar of fire. Pillar of smoke. God spoke to Abraham in Haran. He spoke to Moses in Egypt. He spoke to many prophets in Canaan. The land of the, prophets, the promise. And in Babylon, the land of the captivity. God spoke in various ways and in various times. Can I have an amen? You guys get the point? Yeah. Amen. But when it comes to Jesus, God did not need to speak to us in various ways. He only spoke to us in one. Way and that one way was his son Jesus. Amen. Look at this amazing scripture in John 14:6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let's think about this: I am the way. What is the purpose of every messenger God has ever sent in the Old Testament? Wasn't the purpose of every message is to show us the way back to God, right? Because we sinned and we're far from God and we don't know how to get back. So God will send the prophets to show us the way, right? Now, Jesus did not come to say, I am telling you the way to God. You guys follow me? Jesus said, I am the way to God. Amen? In other words, Jesus was saying, I am unlike all the other prophets who came to show you the way. I am actually the way that every prophet has come to tell you about. Amen? Jesus was not just a messenger. He was the climax. He was the purpose of every message God has ever given us. Amen? And then he says, I am the truth. And that is a very interesting way of Jesus describing himself. It is why. Uh, you know, I have Micah, Kezia, and Sila. is always hanging out with Katrina and me. So it's Micah and Kezia sometimes go to the room and play. And then all of a sudden I hear Kezia screaming and say, Micah! And she's just screaming and, and crying. And I'm not happy with Micah, so I call him and I'm a little bit not happy. I was like, Micah tell me what happened and then I ask him I say Micah what is the truth right now notice how I talk to him I don't ask him Micah who is the truth I don't ask who's the truth that doesn't make any sense right I say what is the truth why I'm asking what not who Because I'm actually looking for information. That's all what I need, right? I'm looking for a group of information, a set of information, that will describe to me the reality of what happened when I wasn't there. All what I need is pieces of information. I hit her, I did this, I took her candy, whatever. That's all what I need to know. So when you ask about the truth, you usually ask with what, not with who. Now Jesus said, I am very particular because truth is just information that you're usually looking for right so what Jesus is telling us by claiming himself to be that truth is this Jesus is saying I am not just a messenger who is bringing you truth about God like every other messenger in the old testament Jesus is saying I am the embodiment of everything that is truth about God amen Every prophet in the Old Testament came to tell you truth about God is actually was referring to me. I am everything truth about God. In other words, Jesus was saying, I am not just a messenger from God, which he was. But Jesus was saying, I am also the message of God. You guys follow me? He's not just the messenger. He's also the message that God sent to us. It is very interesting. I was looking yesterday into that verse, John 1, 17. John talks about Jesus and how God spoke through him versus Moses and how God spoke to him. And John says this, that the law was given to us by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Amen? And when you look into that verse, you'll see that John actually used two different Greek verbs when it came to Moses Versus Jesus. This is very interesting. You guys with me. John used two different Greek verbs to describe Moses versus Jesus. When it came to Moses, he used a Greek word, a Greek verb that simply means to deliver, to grant, to give. That's why the English say that the law was given to us by Moses, was delivered, was given, was granted to us by Moses. But when it comes to Jesus, John did not say that grace and truth was delivered or given to us by Jesus Christ. He used a different Greek word that literally means came to existence. Something that wasn't and now is. Amen? He used the Greek word genomai, which literally means to come to existence. So what John is telling us is this... Even though every word in the law that Moses has delivered to us is absolute truth about God. You guys follow me? Even though every word in the law that Moses delivered to us is truth about God. Yet the fullness and the completeness of the grace and everything that is truth about God never came to existence until Jesus was manifested to us. Amen? Amen. He is the truth. He's the embodiment of everything that is truth that we ever need to know about God. That's why with Jesus, God did not need to use various ways or various methods to talk to us. All what he has to tell us is Jesus. He's not just the messenger. He's also the message that God has sent us. Amen. Amen. Jesus also said I am the life and isn't that again the purpose of every message God has sent throughout the Old Testament that sinners dead in their sins like you and me can find the life that has for us amen and Jesus didn't say I am here to show you the life or show you how you can find life, Jesus said, I am the life. I am the very message that every prophet ever was sent to tell you that was pointing to me. I am everything that God wanted to convey to you and me. Amen? God did not need various ways and various methods when it comes to Jesus. All what he needed to tell us is just Jesus. That is the message that God wanted to send to us. Amen? Amen? Finally, here, God used many prophets in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, he spoke in the son, right? Now, the Greek doesn't have the son, or, and it doesn't have his son. The Greek literally goes, and he spoke to us in son. That's literally what the Greek says. It doesn't have the definition or the uh, proposition his and it's odd for us as English-speaking people, but that's pretty common in Greek. The idea here is the author of Hebrews is emphasizing on the nature of the messenger. He's emphasizing the nature of the son. It can literally be translated like sun wise son-like, and the one who is son. That's how it's supposed to be translated. Again, the idea here is this. Even though God spoke in prophet-like in the past, now he's speaking in son-like in these last days. Amen? The nature of the messenger is a whole lot superior than the nature of the messengers of the Old Testament. That's what Jimmy was saying, and it's absolutely true. That's what God was saying as well in in this verse. Amen? And the author of Hebrews went on from the point that saying, speaking to us in the son, in his son, to have seven descriptions about who that son is. And we'll talk about that when we talk about how the messenger is superior than the messengers of the Old Testament. Amen? Amen? Closing thoughts here. Between these two phases, the Old Testament versus the New Testament, there is continuation and there is discontinuation. Continuation between both is the author of Hebrews said God spoke in times past and God spoke in the New Testament. Amen? Amen. The author of Hebrews never discredited the Old Testament, never said, oh, it's not important anymore, just throw it away, we have the New Testament, amen? He never said that, he never discredited the Old Testament, he actually emphasized the importance of the Old Testament. He said, the Old Testament is actually God's word too, amen? Jesus is just the fulfillment of God's word that was spoken in the Old Testament, Amen? Now, not only that God spoke in both, but also the way He spoke. It's the author of Hebrews used the Greek word in the, the prophets and in the Son. The idea here is that God did more than the prophets and Jesus, the Son, did more than just delivering a message to the people. Like if I want to send a message to you guys, and then I come to Barb and say, "Hey, Barb, can you tell the people that I'm going to be late today?" She comes to you guys and say, "Can we gonna be late today?" Now. I spoke to you through Barb, right? She spoke as a messenger on my behalf. But that's not what the author of Hebrews is saying here. He's not just saying that God spoke through the prophets and through his son, but God spoke in the prophet and in his son. I.e., what he's trying to tell us is that God used their life as well as listens and messages to the people that he wanted to talk to. For example, God told Hosea the prophet to ma- to go and marry a prostitute. You have a man of God, and God told him, go marry an adulterous woman. Why? So that the children of Israel will know that I am holy, but I'm still willing to associate myself with you as a nation, even though you keep on sinning against me and worship false God. Right? So God is speaking not just through Hosea. God is speaking in Hosea, in his life, in what Hosea is doing. God is also speaking To the people. And he did this exact same thing with Jesus. We'll talk about that for the next few weeks. God spoke not just through Jesus. But God spoke in his son. Amen. But finally here. The discontinuation is this. The difference is this. In times past. We see a lot of fragmentation. You see many times. Many ways, many prophets, a lot of fragmentations. And if you look at the Old Testament, you'll see that there's a lot of prophets who focused on only one aspect of God, brought us a specific message from God. For example, Isaiah emphasized the holiness of God. Hosea the prophet emphasized the divine love of God. Amos brought to us and talked to us about the social justice of God. Moses told us about the law of God. Each prophet is bringing you one aspect about God. Amen? But not that is not the case with Jesus. Jesus has no fragmentation in him. He doesn't tell us about part of God. He is the one who tells us about everything that God is. Amen? Yet all the threads of the Old Testament prophecy prophecy met in Christ. God's revelation is just so good I'm going to read it. God's revelation through the Son is superior to all the previous revelations because when God spoke in the Son there was one complete and final revelation that was the climax and the purpose of all the previous revelations. Amen? Amen. 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 So that's why the message is superior. Let me close with a couple of, close with a couple of uh, thoughts here, and then we'll pray. What is the first few words that we read here in in Hebrews one one? Can we quote Hebrews one one together? Somebody help me. God, who in times past did what? Spoke to our forefathers. So. The first phrase that we read about in Hebrews 1.1 is this, God did what? Spoke to us. God spoke to our forefathers, right, correct, and then he spoke to us. Who takes the initiatives here? Did we take the initiatives to hear from God or God took the initiative to speak to us? God took the initiative, right? God spoke, Right. Well, I guess what? I was reading this somewhere. I can't remember where. But if God would have never taken the initiative to speak to us, we would have never, never known about him. Right? Just as simple as that. Sin has separated us from him. We're incapable. We're too minute, too finite to even know God or even comprehend who he is, right? The only reason we know stuff about God is that he spoke to us. He spoke through the prophets, and then he spoke to Jesus, amen? Mm -hmm. Now, I want to tell you this. The same God who took initiatives. I mean, look at all the prophets of the Old Testament. Abraham. God, for out of the blue, show up to Abraham and say, Come, follow me. Just out of nowhere. God always take the initiatives. When Adam and Eve fell in sin, who went looking for who? Did Adam and Eve went looking for God or did God went looking for Adam and Eve? God went looking for Adam and Eve, right? Throughout the Bible, you see that God always takes the initiatives. You know why? Because He loves you and He wants to speak to you and He wants what is good for you. God is not against you. He's for you and that's why He always takes the initiatives even when He doesn't have to. Amen? So if you have a situation where you don't know what to do, God want to take the initiative in that. Don't let the enemy lie to you and manipulate your thoughts about God, that he's far away, that he doesn't care. God cares, and not only that, he takes the initiative to show you that he cares and that he loves you. Amen? And number two, God, what did God do? Spoke, right? This is the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world worship a god who does not speak. Amen. You give you the Quran say here is the book that's it. You read it, know what's in it, and if you don't know, figure it out in your own. God is distant. He will never show you who He is or speak to you. Hinduism, same thing. Every religion in the world is the same thing. God is a deaf, mute God. You just have to figure it out on your own because He's not going to do anything for you. Amen? But this is not our God. Amen? He spoke in the past, and He is speaking, and He will always continue speaking to you and me. Amen? Genesis 1. First thing, Genesis 1.1, God created heaven and earth. And what is the very second action that we see God doing? God said, right? Let there be light or God start creating. But the way he created is through speaking. God spoke, he is speaking, and he will always continue to speak. The issue is not that God is willing to speak to you. The issue is, are you willing to listen to him? That's the question, amen? Not a big amen. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Let's close our eyes and pray.